and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and the best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core and that's why every single week I bring a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. I'm so careful about putting things into my body these days, and this is the only CBD company I've come to trust with my wellness. They are organically farmed, gluten-free, and have absolutely zero THC in their products. It's just a clean CBD to help you ditch your stress, sleep better, and soothe anxiety. My absolute favorite product of theirs is the orange cream gummies. They also have raspberry and strawberry, which are really good. And after about two weeks of having one gummy every single evening with CBD in it to treat my little sweet tooth with a dessert, I can't help but notice that my sleep has drastically improved every single night. I actually wear a ring to measure my sleep and it's just undeniable what these little gummy friends have done for me. And without THC, you're just getting the calming effects of the CBD plant, none of the high, which is why they are so safe to take. They each come in 10 milligrams or 25 milligram doses of CBD to calm you down from the day in the sweetest and tastiest of ways. And the best thing about them is that they don't taste at all like CBD. I once tried another CBD gummy bear from another company and it was like, whoa, it tasted like I was eating a skunk wrapped in marijuana and sugar. So anyway... I've come to love these little gummies from Soul CBD, and as a way to love myself, to use whatever resources exist in the world that help me be more well as a human, these are so one of them. So our friends at Soul CBD have given us a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystahl.com slash soul. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L dot com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the U-Turn code at checkout. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. Now let's get in to this week's episode. You will know if it's time to give up. You really will. I promise. The, the thing is, the reason you waffle back and forth and how many people do that, right? They're like, one day, like, oh, I'm done. And the next day, oh, he's so great. Or she's so great. We go back and forth because you need to make the decision that you're staying, that this is it, that you love this person and you're going to work it out. It, we're going to fix this because it, it has to get fixed because I love this person. There's so much good here and it just has to get fixed. So I'm just going to keep being loving. I'm going to keep being this thing. This doesn't mean you're codependent. This doesn't mean that you kiss their butt. This, this means you have boundaries, but loving ones. U-Turn friends, it is a great week on the show because as usual, I am excited about the love category. I am bringing Abby Medcalf onto the show. She has the TED Talk about why relationships fail. She's a relationship maven, a psychologist, an author, podcast host, and a speaker. And she's just helped thousands of people create happy, connected relationships. And I knew... 
I needed to have her on the show. She has such a unique background in business and counseling. She has such a fresh perspective. And her overarching argument is that relationships don't fail because of communication. They fail because of competition. They fail because we go into a dynamic of it's your turn to do this because I did that and it becomes this bargaining chip and I have so much to ask her about this. And so this episode is about why relationships fail. What part are you playing in it towards the failure? Maybe you're in a relationship and it's not going so well and what to do about it. So Abby, thank you so much for making the time. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm ready. Before I hit the record button, you were just like spewing so much good stuff. I was like, okay, (laughs) I've got to hit this. So what, what is it about relationships that got you where you are now, where you've kind of devoted your practice and your work towards studying and helping people with it? Oh boy. Um, well, you know, I was in the business world. I ended up in, I was in the counseling world first, and then I uh, got my MBA and was in the business world. And I was helping executives who had uh, drug and alcohol problems. I'm in, I'm in a long-term recovery myself, um, a recovering heroin addict. And, you know, that was sort of my niche with these uh, top level executives. And what I found, you know, of course, if you're, you know, if you've had five DUIs, guess what? You're not happy, (laughs) not happy at home. You're not happy at work. You know, a lot of these guys though, and they were mostly men were were rainmakers. And so people, you know, they, the board wanted to keep them, even though they were having these pretty major problems. And so what was happening was I was doing, I didn't really understand the difference between coaching and therapy. And I was kind of doing therapy coaching, sort of this combo. And what was happening is I was asking them about their home lives. And what resulted was they would, I would consistently be giving them sort of tools to, to work on in their home lives. Also, not just as, you know, leaders, and they were coming in over and over saying, wow, my marriage is so much better. I get along with my kids differently. I really feel closer to people, you know, on and on. And I thought, I think I have something here. Like, wait, there's, there's, you know, I'm helping people. And that ended up being the name of my book, Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing, because I realized that you don't have to, it, one person can absolutely completely change a relationship, even if the other person doesn't do anything. And we're going to talk about some of those concepts today. But mm-hmm. within that, and then I really went all in with couples and I sort of left corporate and I, um, my PhD is actually in organizational psychology. I have this weird mix. And uh, I ended up really, again, applying a lot of these business concepts to counseling and vice versa. And I, you know, I think because in businesses, we have so much competition, right? It's mm-hmm. always happening. And it became, I don't know, I had this aha moment uh, one day, I was doing some work um, with Hewlett Packer, actually, at the time. And I just realized that the competition I was seeing in a team, it was within a its own work team. And I was saying to them, you can't compete with each other. You're not going to go anywhere. You're on the same team. This is a problem. Competing with other organizations is fine, you know, <laughs> competing outside. But we, we all know that when people are competing in on a work team, that's the death. And I realized that's just what happens in marriages. Mm. It's the exact same thing in, real, in all relationships, you know, especially those romantic ones. And yeah, I've been hearing for years, right? It's your turn to put away the dishes. And uh, well, you spent money on a new this, so I get to spend money on that. You know, all of this back and forth. And one of the things that happened years ago, I was with a couple and he was really excited that he had gotten this huge promotion he'd really been wanting and he was going to be traveling in Europe a lot. And he 
he brought it up in session. He said, Hey, I have some good news to bring. I've been waiting, you know, to, to talk in here. I'm so excited. I got this big promotion, da da da. And her reaction was, well, great. Now I guess I'll just be home alone, taking care of the kids while you're off in Europe. Mm. And that's right. You can think of, I'm sure if someone listening right now has something like that, where their partner had some great big news and they immediately saw it as a loss for them. Yes. Yep. And that's a problem. Mm, okay. I'm so excited to get into this. So <laughs> I, I've, I've been in many different relationships in my life. You know, I, I don't know if I would call myself a serial monogamous, but my first boyfriend was age 12 to 18. And he was the most like generous, kind, mm. you know, boy scout of a guy. And mm-hmm. um, it really set me up as a young woman to understand what it looks like to be with a very giving human being. And, um, you know, my dad worships my mom. So I've kind of seen that there too, but I think it's really interesting that your angle here and your first point, and for my note takers, this is definitely the first point is the problem is not communication. It's bargaining. It's back and forth power struggles. Can you talk to me a little bit about how this begins um, and what it kind of looks like when people do this. Oh yeah. Um, well, you know, it begins in, in centuries ago. Right. <laughs> so, but we do, we hear things even when we're little, you know, my better half, my other half, you know, he completes me, makes me throw up in my mouth a little, but you, you, you know, the idea, right. <laughs> this whole idea that there's this other half out there, you know, it's 50, 50, you got to get in all that crap, which is what it is. It's crap. Mm -hmm. So we have it in our heads and really we saw our own parents do it even in ways of, um, I'm a, I'm a lot older than you. And I, you know, the dad would go work and my mother worked too, but that was, uh, we didn't have much money. So (laughs) in a, in a, in other families and more, you know, middle to upper class families, right. That was more of, uh, in my time, what you would see. So it was divided. You take care of the home. I take care of the money, right? We we separate these two things. You're in charge of this. I'm in charge of this. And men historically in heterosexual relationships would come home, right? Put their feet up. They were done for the day. They already did their work and women were still working. And that was seen as completely okay. Still is in yeah. so many, right? We know that when women get married, by the way, that we uh, we take on an average of seven more hours of work a week wow. that we live we don't live as long. Men who get married live longer. Women who get married die sooner. Damn. I mean, because of all this work. So we already know this is all happening, right? This, this unfair, you know, division, uh, that's been going on for a very long time. So it's still here, but we, uh, lots of people, we don't realize that we're like fish who don't know they're wet. Mm -hmm. And so we we're just sort of moving along thinking this is how it is. And it happens in our jobs, we, you know, here's my list. Here's your list. If you're on a work team, as any of us have been, I think, and there's always that person who's doing more. There's always that person doing less. And there's all that resentment that gets built up around that, right? There's all that, you know, ickiness. Well, I did this report. Now it's your turn. I did that. You know, it's everywhere we turn is this idea. And the problem is it's very fear-based because at the, at the center of it, at the core of it is... I want to get mine, mm-hmm. right? I It's got to be fair. I have to get mine and I don't get mine unless you do yours. Mm-hmm. And it's immediately setting up this huge struggle all the time. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, it impermeates everything we do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, 
obviously one question that probably comes up is, you know, I think a lot about like, and I talk about this on the show sometimes, Byron Katie and her work. And she talks about Mm -hmm. like the concept of I love you until I don't. And I I love that because she's just very in tune with what's true for her. And I know that love can be a commitment and a choice and not just a feeling or because feelings are so malleable and shifting all the time. But what I'm trying to understand is the reality that there are some people who are givers just naturally, that's how they live. And there are some people that are takers where naturally maybe their parents didn't take care of them or give to them in the way they needed to. And they grow up to be more narcissistic or more of a taker. I'm curious what your take is on that because I would hate to advise somebody to give more when maybe somebody listening right now is just like completely tapped out like an empty water wheel. Yeah. So, and this is this idea of giving, what does that really mean? So Mm -hmm. in my experience, what happens is that you're People give not, so to me, it's, it's, you know, the goal is a hundred, a hundred, right? Everyone's giving a hundred percent, but not of their time. This is the problem. You cannot compare time and that's what people do. Mm-hmm. They, they have a list. I get this, this, and this, you did this, this, and this, it takes me this many hours to do X. It takes you this many hours to do Y. And we're supposed to be in this exact middle. That's not how it works. That's not how anything works in life. That's just not it. It's also not taking into account that certain things carry a greater weight than something else, mm. right? So when we start to, there, there's so many ways to go here, but basically when you're giving to a point where it's detrimental to you, that's not giving anymore. You, yeah. you don't give 150%, you give 100%. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, it's not of your time. You don't take on eight more things to do. And actually this is the answer, You know, we're gonna jump into an action issue here. One of the main things you do is that we say all the time, well, you're not pulling your weight. You know, you need to, you know, do your fair share. We always look to our partner to be that other person. And that's the problem. You guys are a shared battery. Mm-hmm. So for example, and I, so I, I had this not, not long ago, actually, people are traveling again. And I have a, a executive, a female actually I work with who is going away. You know, she's going to be gone for a few weeks and she was uh, and what what typically happens, she would come home from a business trip and they have two kids. Mm-hmm. She's exhausted from the trip. It's not a vacation to go on a business trip. And he's exhausted because he has a job and how he's taking care of the kids also all the time, right? And all the house stuff and walking the dog and everything else. Mm-hmm. Both of them get home and they're exhausted. And he's thinking, here, take the kids. I am done. Like, I need a break. And she's thinking, oh my God, I've been away. I need a break. Mm-hmm. So what happened is this battery is completely exhaust. We've drained the battery, the shared battery of the relationship. So instead you have to do two, one of two things you, and what I am saying to this woman is you have to get help for when you're gone, mm-hmm. because if he's drained, when you get home, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. You, you need him to be, have had, maybe he felt like he had a little vacation. <laughs> maybe he felt like maybe the kids stay with their aunt for a couple of days and, and he even goes away and has, and he's really refreshed, you know, and comes back. So when you come home a little drained, he's feeling like at a hundred percent when you're feeling at 50, mm-hmm. do you see what this is? But we don't think that we're like, well, I did this at your turn. And we, 
by the way, just from a brain perspective, we tend to overestimate what we do and underestimate what other people do. We think we, we always think we do more. So, and it's not right. It's not, it's not correct. So, but beyond that, so you can, you can add resources from the outside in, you know, maybe you have a cleaning person come more times that week or come at all. If you don't have one, maybe you ask someone to carpool your kids, you know, whatever you bring in resources that, so don't always look to your partner when you have something that has to happen. Look outside the couple. This makes me want to ask you about money because I feel like Mm -hmm. when I hear bring in resources, I hear spend some money. And that makes me think about the money mindset of couples and how each person, Mm -hmm. there tends to be a spender and a saver. I myself, (laughs) I was a spender. My partner, William is such a saver. And so I imagine that for a lot of couples who are kind of like us, I, my tendency is to like pay for services that make life easier. His tendency Mm -hmm. is to do it himself. So I know that this is happening with a lot of couples. What feedback do you have around that possible power struggle? Because I'm guessing a lot of listeners are thinking, oh, my partner wants to like do that, but I don't, or what would be Mm -hmm. your, your feedback? Yeah. Yeah, I always say, you know, do you want to be correct or effective? You know, do you want to be right or happy? So, uh, and I don't know how explicit you are on the podcast, but I've said to men before who didn't want to pay, they're like, well, my wife stays home and she doesn't need a cleaning lady. She doesn't, you know, why do we need to pay for these extra things? And I always say, would you like to have blowjobs or not? Yeah. Like if you want her to have bandwidth to do that. And by the way, you're paying me, I'm not cheap. You know, you're paying me all this money to come in here, but you won't pay a cleaning person. Trust me, they have less money than I am. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the not seeing the forest for the trees. So, um, and that idea, you know, there's a whole other thing I do about money. I have a lot of, <laughs> I have quite a few podcasts on that because that comes up a lot in relationships. So I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because there's a lot there, but I'm yes. ready to walk straight down it. I'm like, tell well, me, then, then I'll, then we can make it about that. I'm down, but yeah. it's, it's a real, it, it's the, the money. First of all, there's not savers and spent like to get rid of this thing. I'm good with money. They're not, I'm this, they're not these labels we put. We just are different in our relationship with money. So, and I too am with someone who's uh, very conservative with money and I am not, I'd rather buy my Louis Vuitton bag, you know, and he just, I can't even tell him how much those things cost. Cause I think he would, like, <laughs> but we, but we've come to a place where, uh, we talk about those things, you know, you, you come together to talk about what the meaning is when you get again into that tit for tat, the power struggle, that's where we lose things. So this idea that here's something that's important to me, it's not important to you, but it's important to me. It makes me feel good. Here's the reasons why I really, you know, enjoy this thing, blah, 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 whatever it is. When we can have our partner really understand what that is and then find a way together, together, it's not my problem and it's not his problem. It's our thing that we're working on together. Couples see everything in a straight line. So I'm here, I'm uh, like point A and point B, and we're trying to negotiate along the straight line to some middle. And we know from the research that when people negotiate, each party feels they gave up more than the other. How do you like that? Mm -hmm. So as soon as you start negotiating with your partner, you're screwed, you're done. You both of you are going to walk away a little resentful. You're thinking I gave up more than my partner did. And there's that keeping score again, there's the competition again. Instead, I tell couples, I want you to think of yourselves as a triangle. So you're each at one of the bases on the bottom, right? 
and there is a line that connects you, but you're both looking up, you're looking forward, you're looking towards a solution that neither of you has. Neither of you knows what this is going to look like. What? Let's brainstorm together. Let's find a new solution together that brings us both to this place where we both feel comfortable about what this is. And for sure, you want to talk to like if you're if your guy like is more conservative with money. What does that mean to him? What's safety to him? I have found with some couples when I talk to the quote unquote saver person, it's never enough. Mm-hmm. Like there is no magic number they're even looking for. They're just like you have to save every penny every yeah. time you can, like every corner. And it's like, but it's so fear driven. That's a problem. You know, money is a money's not real. First of all, hello, right? It's a, it's a construct. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Go to different countries; it means different things. Like it's it's different. So you're fighting about something that's literally not real. And couples tend to fight about things that aren't real, like time. Time's not real. Money's not real, right? These things, when really it's like, well, what do you need to feel this way? What else besides money would have you feel this way? What? Because maybe in their heads, it's, you know, maybe in your man's head, he's like, well, Ashley would just go crazy if I wasn't, you know, it would, we'd be broke. If I wasn't tempering the other side, trust me that I, when I dig a little, that's what comes up. Usually something like that, that they think like, because you are easier with money, that you're too easy with money, that you're just going to be a big old mess with money. Well, what if that's true? Cause I mean, the average American has a ton of debt. I mean, not true, but what if the case is that you've got a saver and you've got someone with debt that's kind of chronic or, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the other, it's, it's kind of comes down to needs, right? Like somebody needs security mm-hmm. and somebody else needs freedom with their finances, which kind of yep. holds you hostage later anyway, because then you're in debt and then you're a slave to your right. debt. But, yeah. <laughs> and both sides are fear-based though, right? Yeah. So, so where do we come together? Both sides are fear-based. Mm-hmm. So where do we come again? And fear never made a relationship better. So where can we come together? Again, that's the triangle. That's the place we don't even know of yet. So it's not, well, I have to save a little more and you have to spend a little more. That's on the line. Mm -hmm. Let's go up. And you don't know, I can't give you an answer to this because I've had, I could have 50 different couples with 50 different answers. Because when you truly get there and it's amazing, when you see yourself as a shared resource, this isn't, let's say you're in horrible debt, Right. And your partner's like, well, that's your debt. You need to, I hear this all the time. I can't even believe it. I'm like, you want to share life with someone. You want to <laughs> have children with them, but you feel like they're, the money, the debt is theirs. What does that even mean? Yeah. Like, look at the competition there. Look at the splitting. Look at the, the foundation of that house. That's not one house. That's two different homes. Mm-hmm. So what are you really doing? What are you saying you're committing to? Where's the trust? Mm-hmm. It, without trust, for, that's where the sex goes bad. That's where it all goes bad. That's mm-hmm. where the resentments are. So again, it's fear-based, 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 fear-based. Well, and that you can't do another question. Can't and do I'm it. To interrupt you. I'm just literally having a feeding no, frenzy please. from you at this point. I love it. So it's just, I love it. You know, you talked about gender dynamics and you mm-hmm. talked about like the saver versus the spender. So let's say there is one person that wants to be very collaborative and they're really trying, but the other person is very rigid. And, um, that, you know, that means that with that rigidity comes, you know, the person who's trying to collaborate waiting on the other person to constantly see where they're coming from or something like that. Where I'm trying to go with this is yes, you can shift your relationship by you shifting, but at what point does somebody need to throw in the towel and say, 
I'm trying to be collaborative and like, I'm working with someone who's so rigid and it, it they are in the againstness and I, I can't get out. You know, like, where do you draw that line? Well, you, you know, you draw the, you draw the line at obviously hurting yourself. So you also might come to a place of full acceptance of this person for just what they are because you get other things. You, you gotta, a relationship is a whole thing. It's so maybe I'm really focused on the money and I don't like that you treat money this way. And I don't like this, but overall that's, but that's your Achilles heel, the money. The rest is really amazing. You treat me with love and respect. Uh, you are um, incredible. I don't know. Maybe we have a great sex life. Maybe you're an amazing, uh, I'm going to say this is a female to a male, let's say. Uh, maybe he's an amazing dad. Maybe all the things, like it ticks off all the boxes. Then you got to let it go. Mm. Like who cares about this other piece? I, I say this all the time. <laughs> you don't, you don't, I didn't marry my husband because he was great at mowing the lawn. <laughs> You shouldn't be arguing about something that do, that isn't at the core of what you need to feel to feel truly happy and connected. Mm-hmm. So I, my man, makes me feel safe. He looks at me like I'm magic. Mm-hmm. He is incredibly just generous and loving and thoughtful and kind. He uh, is a jerk when I'm driving. <laughs> So I can't not drive my car. He makes comments constantly. And no matter what interventions I've made, that has not changed um, over the years. And, you know, and, and I could give you a few others like that, right? So for me, I either, number one, just stopped driving with him. I just stopped driving. I was like, you can just drive. He can drive. I don't care. Like, I don't need to drive. I don't need to prove a point. And, but when I do drive or need to drive, I really get myself in a good headspace first because I know this is coming and I love this guy and poor baby. He's just showing me (laughs) he's six foot four and 210 pounds. And he's a little, he's a little crazy control freak, right? Like in those moments, he's just, he's showing me like his four-year-old self, you know, I don't have to hate it. It doesn't, you know, the problem is what we attribute it. We think, oh, he doesn't respect me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't appreciate me because he leaves a sock on the floor or doesn't clean up his dishes at night or whatever. It's the definitions we give things, which are BS, which are made up in our heads, which are not true. That's the issue. Hmm. So if I can just sit there in the car, take a breath before I go in, remember how much I love him and he can make all the comments he wants. And I just don't, I just don't respond. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm like, Hey, could you turn the radio station? Like, let's have a better song or let's get in a good mood or, you know, just shift it. Like who cares? So, but if it's something really big for you, where do you draw the line? Again, yes. it's up to you, but you have to find what that is for you. But I will tell you something I said to you before we started today is this, we Our conscious brains process information at a rate of 50 bits per second. This is the work of uh, Timothy Wilson. But our unconscious brains process information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. Mm. So here's the scenario that happens. I like, let's say someone comes into my office with this issue, right? They're saying, okay, Abby, I'm going to be really patient. You know, I'm going to really be collaborative. I'm going to really do these things, even though he's, you know, he's not, you know, he's so rigid Mm -hmm. and I'll say, okay. And I'll give her some, let's say I give her some nice tools. So she goes home, but 
and she starts to use her tools. And the second his rigidity shows up, there's this doubt in her, even if it's not conscious, as probably isn't, mm-hmm. uh, where, or maybe it's conscious and she thinks, oh no, never mind, Don't listen to that. Where she's like, oh, here we go again. I knew it wouldn't change. I knew these little tools wouldn't make a difference. I knew, you know, all the doubt, all the, all that is right there. Even if she thinks she's not showing it, mm-hmm. but again, that's the 11 million bits. Mm-hmm. So he, he sees it. He sees her resentment. He sees her frustration. He feels it just mm-hmm. like any of us have felt when someone's talking to us and we know they're full of it, they're saying all the right things, but we get a sense, right? We get a feeling. We're like, "Mm, I don't like this guy or I don't believe this person. It's the same thing with our partners. I don't care how good you think you are. And so he gets this idea that, well, she doesn't really believe this or she's bullshitting or, you know, whatever. So let's see how long this lasts. That's what he does in his head. Again, probably unconsciously. He's like, yeah, let's see how long this lasts. She's being nice right now. She's being easy right now, but let's see. So he doesn't change a thing. Mm -hmm. A week or two goes by and she's waiting and waiting because again, it's fear-based. She's not giving with the idea. She's waiting for a response. She's waiting to get what she wants. Mm -hmm. He keeps picking up on that. He feels controlled. He feels manipulated. He feels like it's all BS. So he continues to not change. He, He gets rigid. He gets more rigid. She comes back in my office and so she gives up. She goes back to her old way of being. She comes to my office and tells me it doesn't work. And that's not what happened. So you've got to be all in. If you're, here's what I know. You will know if it's time to give up. You really will. I promise. The the thing is, the reason you waffle back and forth and how many people do that, right? They're like one day, like, oh, I'm done. And the next day, oh, he's so great. Or she's so great. We go back and forth because you need to make the decision that you're staying, that this is it, that you love this person and you're going to work it out. It, we're going to fix this because it, it has to get fixed because I love this person. There's so much good here and it just has to get fixed. So I'm just going to keep being loving. I'm going to keep being this thing. This doesn't mean you're codependent. This doesn't mean that you kiss their butt. This this means you have boundaries, but loving ones. Mm-hmm. What happens a lot with people's boundaries is this. They, they're too thin with their boundaries. They give too much, meaning they give too much, right? They're giving, 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 giving. And then when the person doesn't do what they want, their boundary gets too thick. They go all the way to the other side. Well, screw you. They withdraw, they get cold, they cut the person off, they break up with them, they go from black to white. Mm. And the problem is that your boundary should not be at all, at all related to how the other person is acting. I have a boundary with my son, let's say, you know, to act a certain way, right? To, to clean up his room and do stuff. When he does those things, I don't, you know, and he gets allowance, let's say for that. When he does those things and does a good job, I don't suddenly go, oh, oh, here's more. Here, here, I doubled your allowance because you did such a good job this week. And you're so great. Oh, you were so good this week. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to go do these things. We're going to, I'm going to take you to a ball game and do all this stuff. This happens all the time with parents. Then the kid, because he's a kid, the very next week, doesn't clean his room, doesn't do the thing. And the parent is like, I gave you all this stuff last week. We did this, this, and this. I was so nice. And look how I get rewarded. Mm. And then they go all the way to the other side. They slam the door shut. You're getting nothing this week. There's no allowance. And I'm taking away your phone and I'm doing this, this, and this. Do you see the problem? Yeah. Your boundary should stay the same no matter what. Mm -hmm. Whatever the other person's doing, that doesn't matter. 
And that's the mistake people make when we talk about people who are quote unquote givers. They give, they go way over on that other side. They see a little hint of something they like and they're like, oh, there it is. Oh, I want to give more, more, more. Nope. That's not really giving. Again, that's Mm fear-based. I'm a giver. I'm very generous. I'm super generous in my life. I'm and but how I give is I'm really kind to all the people around me. Mm-hmm. I say hello to people when people I just had um some young girls who have a new podcast. They're like 18 or something. It's so cute, by the way. They have a little podcast. And they reached out to me on like Facebook and said, Would you please come on the podcast? And it's like, you know, and I and I and you know what? And I I always make time for those kinds of things, but I can't do it this month. That's too much, you know. And I had to say, like, hey, I could do that in August. And here's two times I can do it. If they can't do those times, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But my so I'm not bending over backwards, I'm not feeling my day too much. I'm not, do you see the difference? It's yeah. like there's a kindness, there's an openness, but there's not, there's a boundary where I come first, you know, in a good way. Mm-hmm. not in a selfish way. And that's, again, what people have been seeing their whole lives. So they think that's the way to do it. And it's not. Hey, U-Turners. This episode is sponsored in part by our really good friends over at Organifi. And what I absolutely love about them as a company is that their products are perfect for someone like me who has a busy schedule but really wants her nutrients on the go. It can be really hard to set that time aside to do the juicing or eat your greens. And that is why I've particularly fallen in love with their green juice powder. This powder has become something I just throw into my protein shake to make sure I'm getting my greens on. And oddly, I've gotten so into it that now I'm throwing it into my morning coffee with a nut milk, which somehow is making my coffee taste like a peppermint coffee. No idea how that happened. But truly, even if I had the time to juice vegetables or make massive salads, I don't always love that taste of the dark leafy greens. Their green juice powder is packed with superfoods like moringa, chlorella, mint, beetroot, matcha, wheatgrass, ashwagandha, turmeric, so much more. I always give myself a little pat on the back when I throw a scoop of their green juice powder into my day. So if you want to give their green juice powder a try, I can't recommend it enough. Head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And make sure you use that U-Turn code at checkout for 20% off. And if you're weird like me and you throw some green juice powder into your coffee with your nut milk, please send me a DM on the gram and let me know what you think of my little concoction. All right, now let's get back to this week's episode. Okay, so we talked a little bit about power struggles, givers and takers. Um, One thing I kind of touched on that I want to go further with is decision-making. I feel like Mm. in a lot of relationships, I have seen that there's one person who is maybe pretty comfortable with decisions and then the other one who needs time. And sometimes it can create a bit of a power struggle where, you know, someone's always waiting on the other person to kind of decide what's happening for them as a couple, whether it's, should we move in together? Should we get engaged? Should we, you know, so so the big things, also the small things, should we see friends this weekend? And I think it creates this power dynamic where one person is always kind of pacing the relationship, the decisions, and um, that can kind of feel like, I don't know, like what you're talking about, these back and Mm -hmm. forth energy. So I wanted to look at that a little bit more and just get your take Mm -hmm. on it. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, so common. 
by the way. So yeah. I'm thinking literally like 20 couples have sprung into my head yeah. <laughs> who have this in different ways. Even in a, uh, just, yeah, one person processes very more slowly and is more methodical about it. And, and, you know, and another person wants kind of the answers right away is already moving on things. Um, so very, and like you just said that way too, um, cause it's also can be the case where, um, you know, couples will, it's kind of related to that where couples will decide something. Mm-hmm. So I've got so many couples where this is this issue where one person either makes decisions slowly, you know, one person's a little quicker or they decide on something. And, you know, it's always the one person who hasn't done the thing they agreed to and they're sort of, they haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, And so, and there's a lot of pieces to this. And, but the, the biggie is again, we, when you get with someone you first things first, when you start dating someone, you need to believe them. (laughs) So I just find there's a lot of these things show up right away. Even, you know, people get on their best behavior and do the right thing for a little while, but it doesn't last that long. You know, people show you who they are. The problem is when we're in the throes of new love, we don't care about a lot of that stuff or we're not living together yet. We don't have kids together yet. So a lot of that stuff just doesn't matter. It's like, oh, they're a little slower. They come late to things. It it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really hit us. Later, it hits us. And the big issue is, again, something I mentioned earlier, is that we assign meaning to it. You know, if she loved me, she this is what they're thinking inside, then, you know, she would follow through on the thing she said she's going to do. And th- that kind of stuff happens. Or again, that one person is always making the decision. So the other person, by making no decision, makes the decision and then gets to have this uh, resentment when they don't like how the decision goes, right? There's just all these dynamics, again, all around the power struggle. It's all the same thing. It's all that competition. So there's a bunch of ways to come at it. One is number one to, you know, we unconditionally love people, but we often don't unconditionally accept them. And I will tell you that people don't feel loved unless they feel accepted. So, right. So, you know, think about it. If, if, if I'm a, if I'm a gay son and I go to my parents and I tell them and they say, well, that's disgusting. We, We think you're, that's horrible. You can't be that. Just don't talk about it with us. You know, we love you. So just don't talk about it with us. That son does not feel loved. I know because I've worked with him. Mm-hmm. He, he, how can you feel loved? They don't love this part of yourself. Mm-hmm. So when we're in relationships and we have someone who is the quote unquote spender or not, or we have someone who's the decision maker, or we have, we, again, there's, we don't accept, like, this is who this person is. They're slower to come to things. It's not wrong. It's just different. They have a different style. They it actually can really be complimentary, by the way, which I point out to most couples, but it doesn't feel that way when you're trying to make a decision and move on something. So number one is really because the more you don't accept the person, the more it does become a power struggle and they actually think about it. When If I'm driving and, and I'm stopped somewhere and someone walks really slowly in front of my car, do you know how you've had this, yeah. right? That person who lost the will to live like halfway across the street? Well, <laughs> that, that person I always feel really bad for because I are, and I, I shouldn't say, I don't pity them, but I send love to them because I sit in my car. Literally, I think this poor person feels so little power in their life that this is where they're taking it. Mm-hmm. They can stop the traffic for a minute. And this is what makes them feel good. 
and powerful in a moment. And that to me isn't great. And so I'm sending some love. It's the same thing when your partner, your person, quote unquote, makes you wait on a decision, they are doing the same thing. They are walking very slowly in front of your car and you can hate them for it or you can love them. And that's your choice. Mm. But to really connect, what are they really letting you know? What's really going on? Why is this hard for them? Why is this taking a while? It's resistance. I mean, that's what it is. They're resisting. You're going, quote unquote, too fast. They're trying to slow it. It's the same thing. This might remind you of the money again, right? They're trying to kind of slow it. Everyone's trying to control the other. And when we feel controlled, boy, we don't, I don't like to feel controlled. You don't like, nobody does. We don't like to feel controlled. So the second it happens, we, again, find where we think we have power and we use it. It might be that, um, you know, maybe uh, my partner is constantly commenting on my food and I'm getting heavier, you know, and he's constantly commenting on it. Well, guess what? I'm probably going to keep eating Mm -hmm. because I'm like, screw you that you can't control what goes in my mouth. You, and, and by the way, a partner who's talking like that likely is very controlling in other places. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah, you can feel it. So and it's that same thing. Or drinking, there's lots of things that are actually signs of trying to take control, even though they look out of control. Okay. Tom, and so I want to hear more about that because I feel like um well, you touched on a lot right there. That was loaded because there's body <laughs> image, there's which typically is man towards woman. I but then again, yep. of course, there's always a woman making comments towards her man. Um yep. and whatever, you know, gender norms that I'm speaking in. Um, can you talk a little bit from that lens about resentment? And we talked a little bit about sexuality before I started to record that I want to touch on. I, I feel like women, if they don't feel beautiful, um, and I'm sure men too, you know, I can only speak from being a woman. It's, mm-hmm. it's challenging to feel like sexually desired to feel like you can release any sort of comment about your body, about your weight loss, about the food you're eating. What feedback do you have if let's say somebody listening and their partner has made a comment about their body or their food intake and their self-esteem is now lower with their partner and with themselves and, and then they've got to like rock it in the bedroom and, you know, feel good about themselves. I feel like those comments really cut and they kind of feed into resentment where the person, or maybe not even resentment, it's just like something that they remember and can't release, Um, what message do you have around that? Because I do think that's super common. I've had a lot of women in my life tell me like, Oh, he made this comment and I feel so bad about myself. I can't get past it. I can't stop thinking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, what what would you share about that? Well, again, yeah, really common as you might, just like you're talking, I can immediately picture so many people. It's, there's a, there's a lot of pieces here. One is it's your job. Your self-esteem is your job not the job of your partner, not the job of anyone else. So, cause you know, I've seen some really heavy women with really healthy self-esteem. You can tell they yeah. think they're, they, Love they're that. like, I'm, I'm amazing. And yeah, I know. And don't we, it's like, I look at them and I think they're amazing too. I'm like, God, she's gorgeous. Like, look at her. She's so sexy. So yes. So that's again, you know, sadly that was already there. And that's the reason you, let's say, married that guy because he reminds you of that. You know, we we dovetail with people in good ways and in bad ways. And our trauma often dovetails in a perfect little way, comes right together. And so that's there. So I would say, number one, if that's going on, get yourself to therapy, really. 
And yeah. you got to work on that. You you have to work on that. That's not his job to make you feel a certain way. Matter of fact, that's codependency and that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. But number two, obviously, is to find out a lot of times, I have to tell you, guys make comments that they don't realize because men don't grow up with the same ways of thinking about their bodies as women do. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. So when they make a, an offhanded comment, you know, it, they just don't, they don't think it means what you think it means. You, you're like, well, he knows that really hurt me. And he knows he was saying that, but, 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 and it means he doesn't find me attractive. And, and I have to tell you, I've worked with tens of thousands of men. They pretty much want to have sex. If you want to have sex, mm-hmm. they, they're like, they're down. Mm-hmm. They are down for sex, no matter what. They just don't realize because they can get a little clueless that the thing they mentioned the other day made you self, you know what I mean? Had you feeling self-conscious. And now you think, again, you assign all this meaning. Well, he doesn't really find me attractive. He says he does, but he doesn't really. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, he does. He he just said that thing. He can separate that out. Or, yeah. you know what I mean? Or he'll he'll not look at that part of your arm when you're having sex. You know what I mean? That's not where he's focused anyway. And the flab on your arm, you know what well, I mean? Like we, we he said something. Little, yeah. Like, you know, we even talked about the sex before where you said it's to, con- it's a, it's an issue of connection. If, and so yes. I want to even segue there. And I also want to ask you about control because I thought that was very fascinating. What you said, where people kind of get reactive, where they're like, don't control me. And usually that's mm-hmm. an indicator that they could be controlling. So before I even move on to sex, can I ask you about that? Yeah. How does somebody get insight here? Because I'm guessing there's somebody listening to this episode saying to themselves, I've said that, or I've thought that, and now I need to put a mirror on myself and say, where am I being controlling? So how do you, um, help somebody kind of self out themselves and work on themselves there. Yeah. It's, there's a bunch of ways. And I, I can always, by the way, my podcast is full of things on self-awareness and my, cause this is the building block, right? The, the, this is the center of, of a happy relationship with someone else is you being mindful and self-aware without a doubt. Like that's the top. And we, there's a few things, mainly I'd say to people, how do you feel? Your feelings are a direct conduit for you, the direct, you know, station line to what you really think, because we feel the way we think. Mm-hmm. So if all day I'm running around feeling agitated, resentful, frustrated, I'm thinking of the ones I hear the most from people, like they don't necessarily always feel like depressed or anything. It's more of this low level anger, helplessness, hopelessness, frustration, uh, resentment, that stuff. That's fear-based, all of it. All of it. And it likely is something that you are trying to control that you can't. Mm. And I will tell you this, the one in the most pain needs to change first. Damn. If you're in the most pain, you can't. So if my partner said something crappy to me like that, and it's crappy, I'm not saying it's not, it, it's not okay <laughs> to, to make comments that, you know, I, of course I'm a woman of a certain age. So I'm thinking of my arm fat, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, my upper arms or something and my man, thank God would never make that comment, but let's say, right. And I'm like feeling crappy about that. You know, that's again on me to take responsibility and to notice that I feel that way, to notice that this is knocking me off my game to, you know, I, I got to get in charge of that. I have to get in front of that. But if I, but if I sit there the whole time blaming him and he's a jerk and he doesn't know what he's saying and he doesn't love me and he, uh, da, 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 what, there's a few things happening. One is I'm not working on me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not working on what I need to work on because I'm so focused on what he did. Mm-hmm. So 
instead I need to focus on how it affected me first. It doesn't mean we don't come back and talk about this. It means I got to think about what that really was for me first. And there, the other thing that happens, and I mentioned this earlier, is, and I'm, I'm, I feel like I've heard you talk about in the show before, but uh, there's something in our brain called our reticular activating system, or our RAS for short. And our RAS is a filter between our conscious and our subconscious mind. And basically, the easiest way to think of this is that when you think of something consciously, you, it gives it as an order or an instruction to your RAS to look for it. And the the common example I give is if you've ever bought a new car, you suddenly see the car everywhere. Or if you even thought of buying a new car, you know, a certain kind of car, it's like, wow, there's there's gray Nissan Pathfinders everywhere I look now. It, it's That's your RAS. That's your conscious mind thinking, I'm going to buy this kind of car. Or I like this kind of car. And now it looks like they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So if I'm thinking my partner is a jerk and he's always looking at the negative and he doesn't really love me. And he, guess what? That's that message goes to my subconscious as an order to look for my partner, putting me down, not loving me, not being appreciative, uh, ready to abandon me. That's what it does. And guess what? I will find it everywhere because we also have something called the confirmation bias, which where we try to prove ourselves right. So you have a double whammy there between the confirmation bias and your RAS you're going to see evidence, quote unquote, or proof of them acting this way everywhere. And the super scary part of the RAS is that it filters out anything that doesn't match what it believes. So when my partner tells me I'm gorgeous and beautiful, when he comments on how sexy I am, when he's, you know, feeling me up in the hallway, that is like Teflon. I, I don't remember it. And I get couples all the time, you know, well, I told you the other day, I appreciated blah, blah, blah. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Like, and you're thinking, are you in two different houses? No, you're not. But you, that RAS creates something where you either don't notice it at all, or you discount it immediately. Oh, he's just saying that because he wants sex. I could be anybody. You know, one or the other, you, you're screwing yourself. And again, it's that it's what you're focusing on over and over and over that's going to keep showing up. And that's your choice about what you focus on. You've mm-hmm. got to always bring the focus back to yourself first. And that is, by the way, ultimately, when you can figure out whether to stay or go, or if that's the question later, because th- when you really know yourself, when you really get that connection you do, you have a wonderful uh, feedback from your that alignment that will absolutely positively let you know, with love, by the way, that it's time to go or that I have to dig in deeper and do this other work so that we can stay and be happy together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Really powerful. And before I even ask you about sex, I'm like keeping everybody, I'm literally giving everybody blue balls right now for lack of a better term on this topic. <laughs> but I um, I want to ask you one more thing about power struggles because I feel like mm-hmm. this is just all so entwined. I do, as we kind of talked about, there's difference in paces in relationships. There's the slower decision maker, the quicker decision maker, and there's kind of a power struggle in waiting for somebody to make a decision sometimes versus seeing the positive of that. Um, but I, I also have seen a lot of people who, you know, it, it feels maybe like I've had girlfriends tell me like, it feels really hard for them when they make a request. It feels like almost every time the partner isn't easy with their needs or their requests. Hmm. And a lot of time for me, I'm like, damn, that's such an easy request. You know what I mean? Like I have a girlfriend who, um, 
you know, she wants to leave, you know, when she goes to family functions, she, she's a sleepy bear. So she wants to go to bed by before midnight, which is totally fair in my head. Mm -hmm. This is just my own subjective reality, but so she'll tap them, you know, around 10 30, 11 at night and say, Hey, it's, it's my bedtime. Like, can we head out soon? Like I'm exhausted. And of course, sometimes she'll stretch herself and stay there till 1am, but she's dying. Like she falls asleep on the couch. So the point is like, that's a perfect example of a tiny little request. Like, Hey, can we head out? We've been here for 10 hours or something. And (laughs) the partner is very much like, no. And it seems almost like his need is to stay and her need is to go. And I feel like that's classic power struggle. Um, How do you kind of cast? Oh, I got it. The reason. Oh yeah. Here, I'm ready. Yeah. Give me it. (laughs) I get, I get this one all the time, this kind of thing. Uh, So and again, so if on like your girlfriend is probably thinking, well, he doesn't really love me or he would honor my, what I want over what he wants. Number one, take, just take two, two separate cars. Why are you always driving with him then? Right. Just say, and with love though, it can't be out of the F you. That's the deal. It's like, Hey, I know you like to stay later. You know, I'm a sleepy bear. Um, so I'm just going to take my own car so you can stay as late as you want. And okay, I'm just so wait. Home. The plot thickens because she did that and he was really upset about it because it's an hour drive to see his family and mm-hmm. why, you know, I want to drive together and I want to do this. Yep. And so then mm-hmm. she felt very like controlled. So I, I just feel like yeah. I'm out there identifying with this and I'm not being too. Oh, scared. I'm sure. So oh my God. Yeah. Because it comes up so much. Very Again, common. You suggest a solution and then the partner's not down with the solution either. And then you really feel like your wings right. are clipped. So, so you have to start where you start, right? So it might be again, having that conversation before, right? Like, Hey, can we take two cars? And he's like, no, we don't see my family very often. And you know, you can, you got to come. And again, my guess is that he's feeling like it's going to look bad for him Mm -hmm. for her to leave early or whatever. So you're going to have to have a feeling conversation at this point, not a content conversation. The problem is that these conversations are usually about content. Well, we'll stay, I'll give you four hours instead of five hours. Well, they're, they're all the negotiation about the time and how much time and could we go another day? No, you got to stop all that and say, how do you, you got to ask the feeling questions and it sounds all touchy feely. And I'm a, I'm a New York city cynical girl, but I have to tell you, this is where it, it's at. We connect with feelings, not thoughts. Mm-hmm. So, and our, I will do it this way. Our men do not want to feel like they're not protecting us. I will tell you that right now. Mm. So if from the feeling place to start, there's a million questions and there's questions, it's questions. So, uh, well, you can do it two ways. One way is something I call, we call the I feel formula. So it could be, you know, I feel sad and frustrated when you demand that I stay all this time, even though I'm tired and I need for us to talk about this differently. Mm. So it's when I feel when you, and I need, mm-hmm. or you can just ask the questions, which could be, um, so when I ask you if we could leave early, what happens for you? Like, what are you thinking about that? Cause I can see you don't want it. I hear you, you seem to get upset, but what, what is that? Like, Tell me more. Don't ask why. Don't ask why. Tell me more about it. What else are you feeling? What else are you? And what what'll happen? I guarantee is that 
the other person will go to what they're thinking, not what they're feeling. And so you just have to kind of stick with it. Well, I'm just, you know, he'll say, well, well, I feel like you should just come because you're my wife, right? That's not a feeling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so you just have to kind of stick with it. And again, you have to get yourself in the right place first. You got, you can't come at this in a fear place of like, oh, he's such a jerk and I'm so pissed and da, da, da. And he never listens to me. Forget it. You're not going to have a good conversation. So don't even try. But if, if you can find that space to really be curious, because I'm assuming your friend is with this guy and he's not a complete jerk. No. Otherwise, yeah. I don't, I don't think she'd be with him. Yeah. So here's a sticking point for him. So where is her compassion about that? Like what is really going on for him? Mm. I get that she wears, you know, and of course she's like, well, where's his compassion for me? Well, yeah. where's your compassion for him? Who's waiting for, you know, we're doing that power struggle thing again. Like, like again, cause she's even saying her need is more important than his. Mm-hmm. Everybody's saying that. Mm-hmm. So let's again, not negotiate. Let's not come in the middle. Let's find a new solution together. May I actually, I, I can think of a couple. I had this with this a couple of years ago now, but she would go nap. <laughs> during these long stays with his family. And it was her to his family. It's so funny. And she would also go just like take time because they would spend the whole weekends together. Yeah. And she would also just go take time for herself. And, you know, she just, she just did. She just drew this boundary with the family. They worked it out together though as a couple first. And, you know, he had to deal with the heat because he had a very enmeshed family. Yeah. And he had to deal with the heat from his family because they were judging it. You know, they were saying all kinds of crap about her and he was, and I bet this is your friend's husband. He was just trying to like, not, he was trying to be conflict avoidant. He didn't want to have to defend his wife. He didn't, he was kind of annoyed with her too for needing to sleep. Cause he saw it like, why do you need to rest? Why do you need so much time away? You know, again, not, not accepting that this is just who she is. This is what she needs, right? It's okay. And again, not assigning all the meaning. And so when we work together and I actually work with, both of them. And he was able to finally really see that. And he did. He had to say to his family, don't talk crap about my wife. She's just taking a nap. Get over it. She's Mm. allowed to nap. Or like when he treated it as nothing and really took her side, quote unquote, like really had her back, it was fine. But some of it was because he liked her there because she was like a buffer because he was a little uncomfortable with some of the stuff that would happen in the family. And again, all the brother, he had three other brothers and their wives were there. Like he felt like, right. It meant that his marriage wasn't as good. It meant that, you know, it meant all these things to him. Mm-hmm. So once we pulled that out and, and, you know, separated that, you know what I mean? But it takes a conversation and it takes, I will tell you the number one thing, curiosity. You cannot go in assuming, you know, what your partner is feeling. Mm-hmm. You can't go in asking questions, trying to drive to a certain answer. You have to truly be curious and unafraid. Curiosity is love-based. Mm-hmm. Driving towards a solution is fear-based. It's control. It's, you know, it's it's all fear-based. Mm-hmm. So you really, you got to be in that love when you have these conversations. I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's what's not hard. It's, it's practice. Once you, like, I do it pretty easily now, but- I didn't for years. You know, I had to practice it just like I have my clients. It's a skill. It's a skill. And like any other skill, if you practice it, you get better at it. But mm-hmm. you you can't just keep having the conversation the way you've been having it and expect a different result, right? Definition of craziness. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to come at it different. And again, that's the triangle. You've been trying to, you know, negotiate along a line. That's why it hasn't worked. 
Mm, okay. This is awesome. Like, I feel like this is full of information. <laughs> and then this kind of leads us to my little grand finale, which is sexual compatibility. I mean, mm. if I had a penny for every time I'm assuming a couple came to you and said like, I want this and she wants that, or I have a higher sex okay. driver, I have no sex drive, da da da. And I'm sure nothing, nothing quite like a pandemic to make us all have, you know, weird sexual, whatever. Um, yeah. Would love your feedback on what do you think happens when people kind of lose, you know, that flow with sex or they are scared to marry somebody because that person is like into BDSM and I'm not like, where do you draw that line of like, this is an incompatibility. I can't do that versus, you know, we need to, we're disconnected and we just need to connect to correct, which is what you said. So tell me a little bit Mm -hmm. more about that. Yeah. Well, there's two different scenarios here, right? One is that you're seeing something before you get into a long-term relationship with somebody. And that is the best place to notice this stuff and to have those conversations. It's very interesting to me how, again, it's very, it's very American, just for the record, that we just have so few conversations about sex. It's a lot of assumed things, like a lot of assumptions, a lot of assumptions about what's weird or bad um, that are concerning, you know, and it's because sex, I believe, because sex education in this country is so poor, you know, we just, we don't, we don't, anyway, that's a whole other topic. But so when you get into, um, when you're in a, like, so let's do that one first, if you're coming in, yeah, maybe they're into BDSM or something and you're not, you have to, first of all, just, I always say, how do you know you're not into it? If you haven't tried it, usually it's a, it's a question of, uh, vulnerability, Mm-hmm. And it's a question of, you know, you know, I always say great sex is messy. Mm-hmm. Great sex is messy. You might be given a blowjob and throw up. You might have anal <laughs> and have poop on the bed, right? You <laughs> might like, come on, I've, I've, I've broken furniture. I've fallen off of things, you know, it's messy. It is. And so if you're having sex and you're thinking the whole time, oh, does my arm look okay? How does my butt look? How does my, you know, forget it. You're not going to have an orgasm. You're not going to have fun. It's it's going to not be good. And there's a lot of other stuff involved in that. That's a whole separate issue. Go do your individual therapy and figure out your, you know, body image, all the rest of that stuff. But if you're with this person and really trying to be vulnerable, it, you know, that's what the vulnerability is. You're going to try something even though it might, you yeah, even though it might get messy. and BDSM might be, or something like that might be the same thing. Now it's, it's funny because I have had this before where partners did this. And then then I've had, uh, the, you know, like, let's say the woman go, okay, I'll try it. And it turns out the guy wasn't even that into it. He didn't really know it. He just wanted to kind of see, you know what I mean? And they sort of learned together. They didn't like it. It was really interesting. And I thought, oh, well, there you go. But you want to, you know, I would say be, if you want to be like, try to be open, see, see what you might or might not like. But beyond that, you know, again, if it doesn't feel good to you, like if you tried and you were vulnerable and you were open and all that good stuff and you were letting your own crap go about how your butt looked, then, and you just didn't like it, which is totally possible, right? Mm -hmm. Then you just say, I don't want any more of that. Like, I'm not going to do that. Is that a deal breaker for you? And it might be. Well, that's what I want to take further is that I do think like I've had a a few friends where they're like, my husband wants to do a threesome and I don't want to do it. And I feel like that's so mm-hmm. personal. Like you can't ask somebody to try something outside of the box that they're willing to do. That's different to me completely. And I will Whoa. tell you all the, thru- I've worked with lots of polyamorous couples and throuples and all kinds of things. I still do. And I will tell you that you can't have one person want it and one person not and have it be successful. It doesn't work. 
Mm. That to me is completely different than trying anal. Do you know what I mean? Like, or trying like that, that's a whole, that to me isn't about sex actually. That's about something else. So, you know, but if, so if we're talking about that, that's different. I I put that in a different category than experimenting within, you know, with feathers or I don't know, anal beads or something that to me is a completely different thing or even going maybe to watch, to be a voyeur, you know, to watch people having sex or something. Sure. But if your partner wants to swing or wants to do something else and you don't want to, that's a problem. Yeah. And so that, that demands further, but it demands further conversation. What are they hoping to get? What, what about it is, you know, is it that your own sex life is really just boring and they're looking for something new, looking for something else, looking for what else could we do? Again, here we go again, not negotiating along the line of, well, okay, I guess, you know, all right, well, we could go to uh, Vegas and we could get a hooker uh, one time and I'll do that. You know, like, what is that? That's not fun. Like, no. No, you both have to be having fun if you choose to have a third person involved, right? Yeah. You you both have to be excited about that. So, but instead, what could you do on the triangle? Like, all right, well, tell me more. Don't be afraid of it. I think what happens, and I know I've had all these women personally and professionally, because it's often the men that want this, although not always, by the way, I've had lots of women also do it, but let's say the man wants it. But what happens is the woman tends to be afraid. She doesn't want to talk about it. She's like, nope, no, I'm never going to do that. Forget it. Instead of like, well, you, yeah, you don't have to do that. That's fine. But what's the conversation? Why? It's kind of like, you know, when my, when my uh, daughter was uh, 13 and asked me, hey, did you ever smoke pot at your age? Uh, it, when you were my age? What, she's not asking me for an answer to that. She's asking me if she can smoke pot at that age. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't be talking about me. I should be asking her questions like, hey, so I knew. I'm like, oh, who offered you pot today? And she's like, well, I didn't say that. And I said, well, yeah, exactly. Well, why is this different? This is the same thing. Something came up. Something is there that's new or different or whatever. If this suddenly came into your marriage. Now, if he's been saying it since you first started dating and now you're five years in and you thought it was going to change, then that's something else. But if this is something that gets introduced later, then I want you to lean in. Don't be afraid. Remember, fear doesn't help. Fear doesn't help. Lean in. Ask questions. Well, what are you thinking that'll do? Mm-hmm. What were you? What have you fantasized about that? Mm-hmm. You know, you can dirty talk in a fantasy. You know, when you when you guys are having sex about oh, imagine a third woman with this here right now. You can talk like that. They'll get them off. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that could be it. That could be enough right there. But again, you don't know until you ask. What is it that he's really looking for? Yeah, and. Yeah. Find out. So, so go, you know, be more open if you can. I just think that sex often feels, or or differences in sex often feel threatening. Yeah. Now, there's another piece that comes up a lot where that I hear a lot, which is that um, men will, let's say, men would say something like, uh, you know, your sex, you know. So here we've got two kids at home now. I work part or full time, <laughs> and he wants a sex life like we used to have before kids. It's like. I, I don't got that anymore. You know what I mean? Like that, that time has left us, right? We're here <laughs> now. And I, I do not, you know, so he, let's say uh, another one I hear a lot. He'll come home. Let's he's home. I just had this with a couple. He was home early from a business trip. The kids were uh, at school and he came in and uh, during the middle of the day and was like, oh, let's have a quickie. Like, let's go have sex. 
And she had this whole list of things she planned to get done before she had to go pick up the kids and it did not include sex with him. So, right. So she, and he, of course, then goes, you never want to have sex, you know, and right. The conversation unfolds. So there's like these kind of scenarios, I would say in the, in the first scenario where you just have different kind of, well, both of them are really the same where there's often in a relationship, sex takes on different meaning, different priority for the different people in the relationship. And we know already, right? Women like to feel close to have sex and men want to have sex to feel close. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody kind of knows that. And so really it's about getting that connection first. And what I said to you earlier was couples often are talking to me about sex and, but there's no connection and you have to connect to correct. So if you want to talk about having a different sex sex life, you want to correct the situation, you have to connect first. And that means you got to talk to each other about what turns you on, what really makes you feel close, not just what turns you on, sorry. I meant what not just what turns you on. You have to talk about what makes you feel close, what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel so in love with me. Mm-hmm. And when you fall in love, you know, with a person, you want sex with them all the time because you have this wonderful little brain reaction called limerence. So that's all fabulous. <laughs> so how do we create that connection again? And and I always say in relationships, you're always re-upping in your relationship. You know, you, you just got to re-up. You, you got to kind of clear the decks and go, all right, where are we now? We're two years together. Where are we now? Oh, we bought a house. Where are we now? We've gotten, we've had a kid. Where are we now? We've gotten a new job. Where are we now? You gotta, it's, it's when you think about two people, I don't have any friends from, you know, when I was a kid, I don't, I'm a, I was a drug addict. <laughs> I was a very different person. I, you know, I moved, I, I lived in another part of the world for a while. And then I, I moved out here to California, which is also another part of the world from New York. Like, I don't, I don't, because I didn't grow at the, the things I had in common with people when I was six are not the things that I find we can talk about now. I don't have necessarily friends from high school. Same thing. It was a, it was different time for me. I was a different person. And so the thought that we would grow at the exact same way together, these like best friends I had then, it just didn't, it's very rare. I think it's really rare when people do that. And in a couple, it's the same. It's very hard <laughs> to grow at the same rate, at the same time, in the same direction. It really is. So to re-up, to stop, to go, hey, where are we? What do we want now? What do we think about our sex life? How's our money? What do we think about home? What kind of trips do we want to take? You know, to stop and really assess and connect and then look at sex and then, you know, ask questions about that. What, what fantasies are we having now? How can we talk about this? But you have to build the trust elsewhere because that's what gets brought up in the bedroom, right? All that, like I just said, like all that trust and all that vulnerability, you got to have it other places first, and then you bring it into the bedroom. This has been such a scintillating conversation. I'm so (laughs) excited for everybody who's listened where can everybody find out more from you, learn about you, buy things from you? I mean, I feel like all of us <laughs> need to head on over to your website. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. It's pretty much my website, um, which is just abbymedcalf.com. It's uh, A-B-B-Y-M-E-D is in Donald, C-A-L-F. And that has all my social and it has the podcast. Um, 
And it ha- and the podcast has all of this, and it's very similar to yours as far as being really actionable and it's relationships made easy. So it's all your relationships, including the one with yourself. There's tons of stuff on the shop page. There's my Amazon number one best-selling book. There's all the things. Uh, and I have a new book coming out. Um, I think it's going to be called Negativity Sucks and Not in a Good Way, uh, <laughs> which is all about getting rid of the negativity in your relationship. Uh and, you know, shifting that around. And mm-hmm. so really a lot of the stuff we talked about today, so that hopefully it's going to be out next month. Um, we're, we're trying hard to make the deadlines. Uh, and uh, yeah, and that's, that's all things Abby is, is right over there. Oh, thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I, I feel like I could talk to you all day. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. Big shout out with so much gratitude to our sponsor, SaneBox. If email has become a soul-crushing distraction for you, then you need SaneBox. Their artificial intelligence easily syncs with your email and monitors your inbox, putting spammy emails you don't want into a separate folder beneath your inbox and sent folder, and it spares you from hours of endless time deleting emails that you never really wanted or should have gotten. This has been such a game changer for my productivity, and if you know just how email folders work, then you pretty much know how SaneBox works. Find an email in the wrong folder, you can just move it. There's really nothing to learn, nothing to install. SaneBox works directly with every single email server or service that has ever been created. Head on over to www.sanebox.com slash U-Turn. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to access 14 days of SaneBox for free as well as a $25 credit for a serious discount on their super affordable membership. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. Thanks again for listening, and I can't wait to connect with you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.